you, you just came out of school, you learned some methodologies, you learned the processes, you learned some of the overall arching goals, and maybe um, you were taught to evangelize research and you were taught um, how to share insights and how to empathize with users and all of those important things. But then you were also told to, to manage stakeholders and then like what, that that piece is just probably the hardest thing that I think um, has been for me and for many people around. Hello, friends. My name is Kirill, and you're listening to my UX career podcast. On this podcast, I'm sharing my personal thoughts on how to start a career path in UX, how to grow your skills and become a better designer. Also, I have conversations with other designers and design leaders trying to show that there are many different perspectives and opinions on the key questions about UX career. So if you're a UX designer or considering becoming one, this podcast will get you better prepared for finding a job in UX. Opinions expressed on this podcast are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views of my current or previous employers. And don't forget, this is just one human's point of view. Also, if you're interested in UX career insights and um, some key learnings from my experience, uh, you can sign up for my newsletter about UX career. Uh, go to newsletter.uxcareer.co. Now, back to the episode. Today, I'm talking to Nick Koveshnikov, a senior user researcher. So we talk about his origin story and the aha moment uh, when he was watching users not being able to figure out how to use their product and how this changed his life and made him go into the user research um, on the user research path. We talk about differences working on internal and external products, uh, key takeaways from a 10 year long career and uh, one of the biggest challenges for researchers, which is how to manage stakeholders and uh, some strategies how you can do this better. We also talk about portfolios for researchers and what makes a great researcher stand out from others and uh, much more. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, Nick. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I am happy to be here and um, good to catch up with you, Kirill. It's been, it's been a while, but uh, always yeah. fun. Yeah, it's been a while and um, I'm really happy that you could join this podcast and really come in and share your perspective uh, from I don't know, I don't want to say like the other side of this of the of the perspective from the user research side but I think it's an essential um role within UX world within the UX team and I'm sure you can bring a lot of insights uh to the audience. Uh, I'll see what I can. <laughs> Happy to <laughs> yeah. be here. You'll do your best. Yes, I know. <laughs> okay, so let's start with uh, what you do right now. Uh, where do you work? Um, what's really kind of your scope of ownership? And maybe a quick overview of your path. Like, how did you end up here? Sure. Uh, uh, so, I'm Nick. I work on a research team that focuses on messaging experience of people using the app and talking to each other or groups of people. And I am, let's see, what else should I mention? I, I just started managing a team, but I, I probably shouldn't be talking about that because I just haven't had enough experience just yet. Prior to that, I worked at Amazon and uh, been there for about seven years looking at shopping experience, experience of people um, trying to buy something, trying to deal with their issues. So customer service parts, um, Amazonians working on contact 
So internal tools on the inside and then also worked with you, Kirill, on some of um, HR stuff, internal experiences of people trying to manage a massive company and instill culture across all the countries where it operates. Yeah, it sounds like you have a very diverse set of experiences in different industries and problem spaces and different also target audiences, right? So especially from the user research point of view, I wonder if you can share a quick, I guess, tip, like what's what's harder, working with internal uh, users, audience, or external, like customer facing? You know, sometimes, I, yeah, I don't have an easy answer for it. I, I there, there are definitely times when it's, yeah, I, I think they're all, challenging in their own way i sometimes internal experiences are a little bit easier to uh, recruit people for just because you right, can yeah. go to people in in your company and get them to talk to you and sometimes it's easier to just see what they're doing but at the same time when you um trying to talk to let's say associates who who are on the job and they see someone coming from a corporate world and trying to evaluate, basically understand their work process, mm -hmm. they may clam up and it's, they may not be very willing to, uh, or maybe they feel a little bit um, embarrassed or um, a little bit on the spot and they may not be as um, candid as you want them to be. So I, you know, honestly, like, I know it's a rambling answer. I think there are challenges in both spaces and some things are easier in either one, but they're all kind of fun or have been fun to me. Yeah, fun and challenging, I'm sure. Uh, can you share your story of like what really uh, motivated you to go this route and do uh, user research professionally? Like what was maybe, uh, maybe your previous roles that led you to this realization that that's something that you want to invest several years of your life and your career uh, and put into this field. Yeah, my UX research origin story. I, I have one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I started as a, I went to school for journalism. So I wanted to be a newspaper writer. And that's what I did for a little bit. And then I switched to technical writing, which was all about writing technical manuals and telling people how to use something, which was at that time, pride of my work has been writing these big 300 page manuals for installers or kind of wordy um, startup guides for end users. I worked at this startup that did home um, automation that was before iPhone time. And so um, at the time we, it was a startup that was populated with a lot of people from Eastern Europe. <laughs> so it was a very specific mentality um, that really just didn't necessarily take a lot of empathy into account. So there's a lot of user blaming and expectation that users would read the manual. Mm. Um, and so again, I was coming from a, a place where I was proud of the manuals and user guides that I was creating and frustrated that users did not read them or did not look at them and somehow things were not working. And I've never really in, I was, I was that startup for about four years and in that time haven't really done some of the most basic UX uh, 
techniques where which is basically just watch your users use the thing that you've built for them and it's just something that never really crossed my mind never really crossed the mind of many other people we were we were there to tell people how to use the the thing that we built and it was basically like it was kind of cool technology it was this touch screen that um you put on the wall and you can control your lights you can control your music your climate so it was it's like it a was smart home pretty cool stuff in in early 2000s yes smart home exactly um and we were proud of it i mean we we did build something really cool but then at some point i decided to go to grad school and in grad school i took usability class without really knowing what it's about but then within that class i decided to do a project where I, we tested our own very panel and we watched three people try to turn the music on <laughs> and it just sucked it just <laughs> totally bombed it was it was horrible to watch cuz there were some hardware buttons that we had down below that you had to press but then at the same time you had to make selections on the screen and the sequence wasn't wasn't very clear so just watching people just really scratch their heads and not like figure out how to turn on music which is the most basic thing you could do uh was both embarrassing but also very exciting because then you can kind of start seeing like oh like well duh like somebody who never seen this thing before of course it makes sense for them to take that approach which was something that we didn't really think too much of because we built it and we kind of had these blinders on so that was my origin story and so since then i I instead of doing technical writing um masters I I focused on basically at the time was usability or user research um and UX um and have been in that space for about 10 years. Interesting. Yeah, a decade. That's that's a lot. That's like one tenth of your life at best. <laughs> if, you, if you yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I if I make it that far for sure. Yeah um interesting yeah that's a very interesting story and so it's, it's almost like it, it it happened naturally right so you didn't really plan to go there uh you just experienced this firsthand and you felt the pain of the users and this led you to a bit to this on the, uh, led you on this path of uh going deep into user research and understanding the needs and behavior and um all that jazz about users yeah uh, and and again i was i was perfectly happy to study technical communications and was going to commit my entire life to writing even more manuals that are even thicker and even more comprehensive and then that very first class usability uh, that at the time seemed like a fad and I didn't think that I would get much away from it it, it was it was life changing i know it's it sounds very iffy but it was basically <laughs> like that aha moment of just watching a user trying to figure out how to use your thing and of course yes they could read the manual but nobody ever does and yeah. i mean and it was it wasn't a complex tool it was a touch screen that should help you turn on your music and it was it was hard and so right. yeah i was but but also the solutions were very obvious right like you can see a person try certain things certain sequence and then sometimes one person is enough to see it but sometimes two or three also increases your confidence and that that you should have built it in the other slightly different way and that's what we saw just just by watching these three friends of ours try to use it and again like how the problem was obvious and the 
the solution also was also pretty obvious too, based on what people were trying to do rather than what we wanted them to do. Yeah, and uh, I completely agree. So even like from my non-researcher point of view, even though I do a lot of research as well and have been doing, uh, observation is my favorite uh, method um, to understand what what's broken in the design in the in the experience. Yeah, no other method from my at least experience uh, is as as good and provides the most accurate insights because. When you ask questions, that's one thing. When they try to recall something, that's completely uh, different thing, which can cannot be very related to the real behavior. So that's why kind of behavior and observation is my my favorite one as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it it can be tricky to create a an experience where people are acting naturalistically yeah. or as naturalistically as they can, or as you can create that that test for them but that's actually my favorite part about user research is is that game of like okay how do i simulate yeah. an experience where i'm not so i'm not in it as wall. much right where i'm flying the wall i'm giving the person just enough information to then like go and and take it, it's kind of like a like a quest some kind of game where you're like all right i'm in this room and i'm I guess I'm trying to accomplish something where I'm this character who's trying to accomplish these things. Interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, it's kind of like for the participant to assuming the role of a character. But then if you build it enough in a way that feels real, then they forget that they're playing a character and they become themselves. And ideally, if they become themselves and lose realization that you're right there watching them that's what you want that's that's like you want them to forget that you're there and then you just step back and just see what happens mm -hmm. and that's really hard to do uh, and if you can do it then that's really fun and also that's where that's where you watch people and the gold the the insights and the the real realization about what's not working and what's working that's that's when you get that those aha moments Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm gonna stop stop saying that, but that's when you get like that that deep knowledge. Right. Um, so it sounds like this is one of the lessons learned um, over the course of your career that like this um, creating this environment and trying to sort of like play this uh, or act this uh, in a way so the user kind of can take on this role but doesn't feel that like that they're acting. So it's kind of simulating the real experience and the real use usage of the products. Uh, I wonder if you have any other things that you want to share, you would want to share with, let, let's imagine that I am a junior or entry level user researcher, and I'm trying just getting into the field. Uh, what things, lessons learned or takeaways from your 10 year old, uh, 10 year long career, uh, you would share with with the person like myself? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I'll just say on on the on the summary, it is it's partly a lesson learned it's it's partly also just my my preference that's the method that i enjoy the most of course there are plenty of other methods there um, you can be a quant researcher who really works at scale and focuses on surveys and there's a whole you know, it's a whole other art form of creating surveys that makes sense to thousands of people who are going to take it um but yes the observation is just for me it's just like Constructing a test is, is a really fun part. Um, and so 
getting to your question of what are some of the, you know, of course there, there are a ton of advice that, um, that come with it, but it's really, you know, I think we were talking about this pre-show of um, like any experience is a good experience. And so as, as a researcher coming into the field, you know, try out things and see what resonates with you and see what, which parts you like the most and which ones are maybe not that interesting. And this is not to say that you shouldn't continue honing the things that are not that interesting, but if you figure out which parts um, more fun for you, you can, you can usually figure out in, in research space how to apply that thing that you're passionate about the most and then just to really make your, your job just a little more fun and just a little bit more meaningful and a space where you're also continue to grow because you like it. I don't know, does that, does that answer your question or at least starts to answer that question or is that? Yeah, yeah, kind of I, I think bit? it's a great answer. Um, but I think it's a, uh, a, this doesn't have to be related to user research uh, mm -hmm. industry at all. So like I actually um, use the same approach for my own, I think a good word to put this like decomposing of the career and designing your career is to really try many different things and then uh, regularly analyze your feelings and what you really, what brought you energy and what really uh, sucked energy out of you after different methods or different uh, activities within the design or research process. So I think it's very applicable to not just to research, but design as well, potentially any other uh, profession. Mm -hmm. I, I was wondering more about like specifically for from the research point of view, and even though like this is like this is relevant. So what you already mentioned, that's very applicable. But may, maybe more specific to researcher role and the researcher specifics of the maybe of the dynamics on the team and like you learn something that like how you need to uh how you can get better results out of uh, your project partners if you do something like this or that so something yeah kind of in relation to user research uh if you have anything to share yeah yeah i you know i was i was just chatting with my partner she's a researcher um and so we we do have the benefit of just when we want to talk about work um, outside of work when we when we have dinner and so we I brought up this question of what would she tell her younger self um, mm -hmm. when she was um, just getting started after finishing school and then looking for for a job as a user researcher and, and I was I was also thinking about the same thing her like top of mind was for her and and I it resonated with me it was really the, the part about how to deal with stakeholders. And so it's something that you've mentioned as well, because it's basically something that I think we both were taught in school a little bit, but it was such a, mm -hmm. such a nebulous idea. And like, what, what does that mean? Like manage stakeholders, right? Like you're not the manager. <laughs> like what does even stakeholder mean? Like that yeah. is not very clear. Like all these, mm. all these words that, that are very much industry jargon and, managing doesn't really tell you what it is and then so then um I, I think we did have some exercises in school about how to work with other people but it's it's hard to to do it in an academic environment and it's very very different thing to experience in a workplace and you and i we were 
our workplace has been a large company where there's just so much, I would say, information overload coming from all these different directions, right? Like mm -hmm. you've probably experienced it where you're constantly, your day starts with email and people pinging you through all these different channels and you mm -hmm. trying to um, catch up on whatever publications that are happening on through internal tools or external. Um, and then you have to catch up with like people that are critical to your project and then maybe uh, convince some other folks to maybe uh, take on a different projects or projects that you thought you finished are re-emerging and their ghosts are reincarnating and some kind of fire that now you have to be involved with because you were part of the mm -hmm. um, part of that work. So all of that is to say the reality of a workplace where you have all these different communications that are happening is really, really hard to prepare for. Mm. Um, but it is something that you as a incoming researcher, it's something that you need to think about constantly because it's like, you can't just focus on like, you, you just came out of school, you learn some methodologies, you learn the processes, you learn some of the overall arching goals and maybe um, you were taught to evangelize research and you were taught um, how to share insights and how to empathize with users and all of those important things. But then you were also told to, to manage stakeholders. And then like what that, that piece is just probably the hardest thing that I think um, has been for me and for many people around. And then what, like, what is that? What, what, and maybe you have actually, maybe I'll turn the question on you, but Maybe you have an idea what that means, but it's also, it's, to me, it's really like trying to constantly figure out um, who are the key people in your space um, around you, who are the folks who essentially ultimately will decide on what needs to be built or what needs to be done. And then what are their higher level decisions and when are those going to happen? And then what are their more short-term decisions or questions um, that you need to get from them. And there will not be research questions. It's your job to turn whatever is on their minds into, into things that are appropriate for research and into things that are not. And, and, then, and then also figure out priority of, of that work. And so then like, how do you do all that? And then how do you build those relationships? How do you, do you schedule meetings with them? Do you send them emails? Do you buy them coffee or bribe them with beer or whatever it might be <laughs> um that is all that's kind of like the basic human relationship stuff that you're kind of dropped off at this playground in the middle school and now you have to go and figure out how to navigate it so uh it's not really advice it's just more of like be prepared for that and then figure out what works for you best to like you don't necessarily need to be buddy buddy with with people in fact like sometimes being friends is actually more distracting, but it's really like figure out what, who are your key folks and what are their needs and figure out how to um, even just find out about those needs by building those relationships. Okay, that was a long answer to a question. I'll, I'll pause here. But uh, I think it was packed with uh, interesting thoughts and uh, highlights of your experience. So there was a question that you asked me that you want to push back on me. Um, and I think it was an interesting twist. I, I feel that uh, relationship management and stakeholder management 
is such a huge area in itself with a bunch of different strategies and tactics that we could go so deep into, especially considering the different environments, different even company structures um, and relationships within like all the layers. And yeah, it's, I think there are so many varieties there. So that's what I'm, I'm trying to say. So I don't want to go into these details right now because it will steer away from the main conversation. But in a nutshell, what I completely agree. So this um, in the design world, it's the same. So one of the things that I've heard from many folks who went through education is that they're usually taught all the hard skills. Uh, if we, if you, we want to put like kind of this labeling of the skills, hard and soft skills, like the methods, like really kind of what really how to do the craft, right? The tools. But it's really hard. What looks like it's it's really hard to to teach in the academic setting the what we some people call soft skills all these relationships how do you navigate politics how do you really overcome all this um potentially competing priorities uh, from other different departments and different stakeholders always like still stakeholder mapping and so on so i think it's definitely a gap a similar gap we have on the design side of the of the, of the education and i thought about this i thought about how one how might we solve this uh, at the at this at the foundation at the education level, and the only thing th like the biggest challenge I see is that because it would require real work experience. So it's almost like apprenticeships uh, and more hands-on experience working in the real environments that would help you build this muscle and really build this compass potentially for navigating stakeholders within a company. And again, back to my initial comment on the variety of those structures and uh, dynamics and vibes and cultures um, this can also change so maybe what if if they if they um, the the program uh, the design program or research program invites a couple of representatives from the real world as experts right like to share kind of their how they would advise on uh, navigating the on managing real stakeholders if we use this term uh, but then like you go to a different type of company and like all the advice that you learned actually can become har harmful. I don't know. So there are many uh, questions that or potential risks of this approach. So I don't know if it's an easy problem to solve. I think it's definitely um, a tricky one. Like how do you really teach um, soft skills with all this um, vagueness of them in them? And um, because yeah, tools is easy. Like you just go through this clicks and buttons and that's it methods are easy you have like, you go through these steps and process and uh, being a very analytical person i have a feeling that you can also decompose uh the soft skills portion of the of the profession to also a bit more manageable chunks or steps or tactics or something like that so which would work in maybe 80 percent of the cases so i think it's it's possible i'm optimistic that you can solve this but i haven't heard that um at least from the design world, that any program did it successfully or effectively. So yeah, long, <laughs> long answer to 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 say that I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you too. I think I think you you touched on apprenticeship, um, internships, apprenticeships are crucial. So if you you are studying right now, um, please make sure that you get an internship. I I hope you get a paid internship because you deserve to be paid. Um, I did an Amazon internship. I think I was one of the first interns there um, that didn't get paid and it was still worth my time. And it's basically, that's the immersing yourself in the environment and really 
learning how things work, how how you interact with other people and what interaction is actually like, not in theory, but in practice, that's, yeah. that's going to be critical. But also as you are there or when you start a, uh, a job at a new company, um, I think one of the, some of the great methods or techniques to make sure that you have an approach to, to figure out what's working and what's not is, is to find mentors and find people outside of your team, outside of your organization. Maybe if your company is small outside of your company, but in a space that some, somewhere similar. So find a mentor who can, if nothing else, just be a place where you can vent. Like that's like just having that is critical. Um, and then someone who can maybe even just ask you the right questions and then someone who can maybe like has some experience in that company and they can give you a little bit more context. So someone that you can go to uh, both in your role, but even more crucially, someone who's actually in different roles and having mentors who are in products or designers, um, technical mentors. So basically people who can actually explain what is going on on, on the other side of, um, of, on the side of your stakeholders and someone who can give you that perspective that's not, um, is not charged with like whatever personal emotion that, that is probably the best way that you can, you can try to approach building those soft skills. It's actually a really good point. It's like cross-functional mentor group. So it's mm -hmm. not necessarily in the same profession, but really to understand the other perspectives better especially if you're just starting out and you haven't really um, had much experience working in the field and working with those, with these roles directly to learn from, from, I guess, real experience. I think it's a, yeah, it's, it's a great, uh, great tip. I, I would say that's actually probably, if you're going to go for a mentor, <laughs> go for a mentor who is, if, who represents the, the folks who hold the power in your, in your company mm -hmm. or your organization. So larger companies, it tends to be product managers. So they're the ones who, who determine the strategy. They're, they're the ones who are the connectors and they ultimately they're on the hook of what gets to be delivered. And mm -hmm. they are the ones who are the key audience for your, for your research. There are also, of course, there's leadership that will set the overall strategy, but product folks are usually there who are the ones who will translate the vision into something that's actually built. So the more you can make friends among product, um, the more you can see how they make decisions and then importantly, how they use your data, your insights in that decision-making process, the more effective you will be with your research. Or I mean, I'll probably the same goes for designers too, because you're designing for something, you're designing something that ultimately will be given to product uh, and of course, engineering, but product will be the ones who say what is priority and what's not. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, let's talk about the difference between what makes a good researcher and what makes a great, uh, outstanding researcher. What are these maybe skills or characteristics or, I know, habits potentially? Uh, because we, after I am sure that after 10 years of experience in the field, you've you worked with so many uh, so you can you, you have a chance to you have an opportunity to compare what really kind of makes a researcher stand out from others. I have no idea. <laughs> Let's talk about you. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is not me trying to be humble, but like, 
it's like what's this extra mile that the mm-hmm. researcher can go to to become a a irreplaceable partner for a mm-hmm. company I you know I I'll, I'll answer by just giving uh, talking about the qualities of the people that I know who are my um yeah uh, sort of role models and I would say one of them is is a person who's been incredible at being very concise and basically just really shaping the narrative about the users or the focus on what the work needs to do into the very crisp repeatable statements that are that she was basically just bring it up again and again, yeah. kind of to a point of being a um, squeaky but broken record um, sometimes, but really, I mean, it was what was needed or is usually needed is you have to basically just repeat um, and get people's focus on the same problem again and again, but do it in a way that's very crisp, unlike how I'm answering this question and very concise and to the point. So that's, so being concise, and really being able to just summarize very complex ideas into um, fairly basic story that people understand and resonate with. That's one of the critical, mm-hmm. uh, I think, um, qualities that great researchers should have. And it also it translates into their insights. Like your findings, your insights need to be crisp, concise. They should tell the story of um, user needs what's working and what's how it's impacting users or how it's making your users lives not great mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's that's one thing i think another quality is like really understanding your audience and your audience um, can be both the participants the users you or customers you're building for it's the your your stakeholders essentially anyone that you are your work is pointing towards. And usually in the end, it's it's really understanding the knowledge that you you get, you are going to bring it to someone who then will act on that knowledge. So it's really understanding those people mm-hmm. and what they're trying to do and what their where their gaps in their knowledge, maybe the the gaps that they don't realize exist, and really focusing their attention on that. People I think in corporate world, for various reasons, get distracted with building shiny, nice things, which which is fun. But then often there there is work that usually is very much needed to just fix the stuff that's that's pretty mundane. But if you don't fix that stuff, um, the experience sucks, and so that mundane stuff usually gets overlooked in, in favor of shiny things. And so great researchers are the ones who remind people that you also need to really address some of the most basic things, but also at the same time tied to the, the vision that also can be inspirational and exciting. All right. How's that for an answer? Does that, <laughs> did that touch on what you were trying to get? Yeah, yeah, I think that that's a good answer for this question. Okay, awesome. One of the common questions that I've heard from researchers specifically is when they apply to jobs, uh, what's the expectation of having a portfolio for a researcher? 
And the question is related to, I guess, the UX design portfolios when the when the uh, the the structure, the information itself is almost like it's it's more common and more well known. But for researchers, it's still quite a gap. So I have a few uh, junior researchers who asked me this question if I knew that. So I decided to, to ask you this in the in the in the podcast. Uh, what's the expectation? Because I've heard different opinions on that. So what do you think? Uh, uh, what's the advice from you? Yeah, that's you know I, I've I've seen this question also pop up on various forums and in various contexts, and often people mean various things when they say portfolio. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and also the processes uh, across different companies are different. Um, the companies themselves, when they're interviewing you, when they say, we want to see your portfolio, they may mean different things. Often what I've seen or heard, recruiters may not really understand what a researcher role is, um, especially in smaller yeah. sized companies. And so they'll ask for a portfolio because they kind of see a researcher role closer to designer role. And so that's all kind of under the UX umbrella. So what the hell is the difference? So they'll ask you for a portfolio. Uh, Should you, so in my mind, the portfolio is something that is, is probably like fairly formed artifact of some sort that may be public in some way. Maybe it's a website that you've, put out there that you're using to market yourself with. You you basically want any audience to come and look at your work and then be able to see all the different skills that you are proficient in and the projects that you worked on. Um, yes, for researchers, it's really hard because that means that you often have to either talk about things in, um, in general terms or um, yeah, you, you have to skip a lot of details because usually we work on things that are very much internal. If you work on, on public um, projects, then yes, it's a little bit easier. My experience, what traditionally has been design portfolios, so something that designers put out um, on, on the web and is externally accessible, um, researchers don't necessarily need that. It's, it seems like our, usually what we, what we can, and like going through the, the hiring process, the, the researchers usually ask to put together a, a slide deck presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, this way you have a little bit more of control of what goes in the deck. You can talk over it in terms of um, if there are some, some things that need to be clarified, you can provide more context, again, keeping in mind um, NDA, so non-disclosure agreements that you've had with previous companies. So, I, and you also want to tailor your presentation to the specific job. Um, so short answer is I don't, I don't think that researchers need traditional portfolio that the designers have. That said, if you're a new researcher and you probably have worked on an internship or maybe a school project, so a lot of your work that may not have been proprietary to start with, um, and if you want to turn that um, project into a website and then give recruiters or your potential hiring managers access to it, this is a good way. It's not going to hurt you. It's a good way to, to show them what you've already experienced what kind of experience you already have. Um, and importantly, 
you have to make sure that you not just focus on some of the small details of the project, but really structure the story in a way of what was the what was the context, right? Like the star format, situation, task, mm-hmm. action, results, right? So the situation, what were what were you trying to research and why? Uh, importantly, why is what were you going to do with the research? Mm-hmm. Uh, even if it's a school project, trying to think of like you're going to get some insight, a set of insights, some kind of knowledge. What could that knowledge be used for? Then task, that's where you get into thinking about what what will be the approach, right? What kind of methodology would you uh, try to deploy or did deploy to to go after those research goals? And that's that's actually going to be very critical as well in your interview is you talking about how you choose between methodology. So that's something that you'll hear again and again is mm-hmm. how did you know that the user interviews is the right approach and not a survey or a combination of some sort? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then from there, like from your thought process of how you're going to approach it, then you want to make sure that you include the, the action. So the, the pieces that you've done yourself. So the, the things that you've done as part of the research and often the research, especially in school projects or maybe in smaller companies, it's a combination of several people working on it, which is good. It's good to collaborate and you definitely want to elaborate on your collaborate skills, uh, your skills to work on a team, but at the same time, you want to make sure that people get a sense. So what do you skill that? Mm-hmm. And then finally results. So you, you got your findings, you, you have certain level of confidence in your conclusions, maybe your recommendations, then what happened with it, or maybe you weren't able to act on it. Maybe it's a school project, but then can you talk about if you were like if your if your findings were given to a team that had resources, what could they do about the problems that you've uncovered? So those components, if you put that on a website, um, and people can read about it in a way that doesn't violate any kind of NDAs, that's that's awesome. Um, but also, if you don't have that and you have it in some kind of PowerPoint, um, that's great too. Just remember to pick projects that seem to be fitting for the role that you're applying. Lone answer. Hopefully, it made sense. Yeah, yeah, it's it's packed with uh, interesting tactics and uh, uh, advice. I love it. Talking about the, I guess the 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 deliverables or the user researcher process when they uh, start working on on a on a new project. So I've been in on many different teams, and uh, the process can slightly differ in particular in relation to who creates the 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 plan for the study who really is responsible for defining all these details about what we need to learn why and all this uh, even like the methods potentially so sometimes researchers are responsible to do this sometimes designers do this and uh, i wonder if you have any opinions on that first of all and any advice on how designers can become better partners for researchers like how can we really strengthen this relationship and uh, increase the basically improve the results and increase the the dynamics on the team yeah great question and i think it it 
my answer would go back to that question that we uh, we talked about uh, good versus great researchers um, and the piece about knowing your audience. Um, and so really being able to um, tell a very concise story, but also knowing who you're talking with and who you're going to be delivering to. And so if you know, let's, let's say we're talking about research reports, if you know who will be the key decision maker from uh, to, to act on the findings that you had, and if you know how they, what kind of format they react to, and maybe for whatever reason, they pay more attention to something that is higher fidelity or, or maybe not necessarily higher fidelity, but tied to designs and they're more of a visual person. They need to, to be able to see the, the mocks and UX in order to then uh, tie your findings into something very concrete. Um, having help with, from a designer would be amazing. So, so basically, again, the, the answer lies in knowing the audience and knowing what that audience react to best. Um, sometimes you may already have established processes and templates and your audience expects to see that. And yes, follow the processes and templates. If your audience always falls asleep during the research presentation, maybe that's like that's a sign that you should redo the process and redo the templates, but it's also a sign of, okay, well, let's see what like what helps convince them to to really pay attention and really uh, build the empathy, but also build sort of the reaction that you need them to have. Um, in terms of designers, I, I mean, I see designers as basically researchers. Like part of your job as a designer is to do research, is to 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 go through discovery and analysis and consume the insights and consume the knowledge. You may not have time and specialization to to recruit people and do face to face with a participant in a study, but Ultimately, when you work in a company, when you don't have researchers, you end up doing research, most of the research yourself. And so I see designers as basically my research partners as just they don't have to deal with putting together a research plan or recruiting people or actually being in the participant room with a participant. That's why the company hired me. But designers are there to also observe. And I think it's very critical for designers to prioritize watching people use their stuff if it's a usability study or take the time to look through survey results or whatever study output that researchers have. So then you can immerse yourself in data and then help researchers um, form right conclusions or form right insights. Because again, you, you know the experience, you know the users probably better than most. And it's if, if you can help researchers also to form the right conclusions, that partnership usually is probably the most effective. Mm -hmm. Makes sense, makes sense. Mm, and maybe one more question, Nick, before I let you go. So I really liked what you said about the stakeholder management uh, challenge uh, earlier in the conversation. So I wonder if you could share maybe some tactics or some strategies, how uh, one can navigate this world more effectively and really kind of manage the stakeholders uh, better. Any tips and tricks there? <laughs> I was going to, I was going to go with something else. That's I was just using that as a <laughs> as, as as a hook to uh, bring that that particular topic back. Um, 
how do you how do you manage stakeholders? I think the the key thing that comes to mind is over communication. And so and so really like of course you, you want to deploy that to to a reasonable degree. You you don't want to spam everyone all the time and you, you wouldn't be able to, you just it's humanly impossible. But really thinking about um, what are some who are the people around you and what do they need to know about what you are doing? And of course, with research, it often takes a month to from the, the beginning of the project to the end of the project. And you want to, especially in my experience, researchers who come from academia, they want to take the time to think through the process and really deliver research that's that's the best quality that they can deliver. And so it sometimes results in people in the researchers figuring out the goals and then disappearing and then coming back for the report. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the industry, it's not really gonna work because decisions need to be make, made quicker. The quality of research, yes, it needs to be high, but you kind of have to figure out how to also provide preliminary teasers, some directional data that's early on, or even even you want to, again, observe people and be, be there when you're, when you're forming your research plan or your study plan and not just provide questions, but really um, by, by your stakeholders thinking through research questions and, and why they want to answer those questions and what are they going to do with the answer if they have the, the answer? Um, is it really going to help them get to a better place or it's just they're just asking it out of curiosity so including everyone to in every part of your research to a reasonable degree um, and then not necessarily taking their feedback as the thing that you should do but just take it as another point of consideration and then also communicating it back to them of what you heard and what you're going to do and why, and then keeping them in the loop and then giving them early teasers um, about human stories that you get, or uh, again, not necessarily publishing raw data, but give them some kind of snippet that can be useful and do it on the regular cadence um, in a way that you can be present with them as much as you can. Um, that will help you build stronger relationships and connections. And so, again, over-communicate what you do as much as you can, but then use your mentors, use your um, relationships that you build then to see to what degree you're over-over-communicating. So maybe you scale it back, but then again, try to be concise and you know figure out what what is that balance that you need to do to again keep everyone in the loop of what you're doing keep their attention on the right most important things and then still move forward so then you can synthesize your research in a way then that that you can be proud of is that that what do you think yeah it's so funny because when we were uh, talking about the the stakeholder management piece early in the conversation in the back of my mind, I was also kind of in parallel thinking about what I think, especially for, for design, it's the same problem, right? So as I mm-hmm, mentioned. Mm-hmm. So what really, like kind of my takeaways from my career, like what what helps you 
uh, increase the chances of su success with stakeholder management activity. If you if you could if you if you go with this label, you know, they thought about the same word over communication and building trust, right, and transparency. Mm -hmm. And I think you're totally uh, hit on hit the nail on the head uh, with finding the right balance because I also think the it's quite relative and and subjective as well. So different teams may uh, find different. Um, balance or different levels of uh, uh, frequency or cadence communications and the the depth of insights they want to keep getting uh, that works for that particular team. So I think it's a good call about really kind of trying to constantly reevaluate uh, if that's the right, I guess, settings for this um, over communication. Maybe you need to increase it or reduce it or involve some other people or maybe Add, add a bit more engaging pieces uh, like quotes or maybe even snippets of the video in your uh, communication plan, right? So I think it's definitely a good call that over communication is a good strategy overall or tactic, tactic, tactic. Um, and um, it has to be tailored to the particular team and particular like project uh, partners and the cadence of the project as well. Um, and I, I'm just trying to recall working with researchers uh, across all the previous companies. And yeah, I really appreciated being involved in being invited to all the sessions. That's A. So kind of all this transparency and like really feeling like that you're being not handheld, uh, but kind of you were, you were brought together on this journey of the research study. And I really appreciate that. And it helped me also build the trust with the partners. And uh, yeah, it was quite actually insightful. And I, I'm, I was curious to learn more about the users and um, uh, the key insights uh, that um, researchers were providing and sharing. I think it, it's, it's, a, it's an essential process and it's a, it's a very good tip uh, how you can, you can manage stakeholders. Yeah, I, I'm glad you agree and also, if you think of it as basically in terms of UX design process is something you're never going to get it right immediately. You just need to iterate it on it. And so seek feedback, <laughs> seek, yeah, um, exactly. seek feedback from your audience and see if the things that you're communicating um, to them is what they need or if they have other questions or if they think you're just now being annoying with too many, <laughs> too many details about stuff they don't care about. But again, yeah. you, you want to still, even if they're, if they think that they're, you're being annoying, you still want to find a way yeah. to, to communicate important things to your audience. And that usually comes in the form of the findings that you have in the form of the insights that you have. And like your audience may be too busy with other things or your stakeholders may not show up to your studies, but you kind of have to figure out a way to to convince them that it's important, that what you do is important and the time that they give you is, or give observing their users is, is critical to, to them. And so I don't have any golden solutions, but if you apply UX research, uh, UX design process to your communication, you, you should be able to figure out what works. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's definitely a tricky point and tricky balance to find. And, um, I don't think there is one right answer to this. And you're completely you're completely right about um, not being, I guess, too user centered here. Because if everybody on the project team says, they, "Actually, I don't want to receive this," do you just like okay, and you stop communicating at all, and like just kind of deliver the end result? No, 
I don't think uh, you should kind of be that. Um, like, I don't think you should under communicate, right? So it's 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 really tricky, to, but you need to find a balance. And um, yeah, I completely agree that you need to show the value of this and convince people. And I think with time, uh, after you kind of build this trust and uh, build these relationships, uh, people maybe will um, will be more open and more willing and interested to learn more about their users. Well, user centered doesn't necessarily mean just listening and taking and your doing, users' yeah, exactly word for it, yeah, right? Yeah. And so it's you want to listen, you want to hear, but you also want to take other other data into account. Um, your yeah. stakeholders may not. Um, yeah, usually they don't know what uh, what they need and what your they job, need to know. Yeah, exactly. Right, and your job is to totally. to figure that out and then listen to them, but also see where the gaps in their knowledge or their awareness is and fill those gaps. Totally. Uh, excellent, excellent advice. I love it. Uh, okay, so let's wrap it up. Uh, if somebody wants to maybe connect with you and have a chat about research or potential transitioning from researcher role to you uh, to the research manager role that, that you're going through right now, which I think you have a lot of insights there as well. So we didn't cover that uh, on the conversation. Or just have a quick chat uh, and connect with uh, with a seasoned professional in this field. Um, first of all, are you open to these conversations and where they can find you if you are? You know, the seasoned professional always reminds me of steak that's covered in salt <laughs> yes. and pepper. That's, <laughs> this is uh, intentional. Lots of, <laughs> lots of seasoning. That That is me. I'm just a walking steak with a bunch of spices on it. Um, Who doesn't like steak? I am always happy to chat with people on LinkedIn. Um, I somehow get a few random cold um, connects maybe a week and I, I enjoy those. I I am busy, but I, I, I do try to set some time aside to to make new connections. So always always happy to to chat with new folks and talk to anyone about their approach to to research and basically learn from them because their questions help me help me figure out what's what's going on and like what people are trying to do. So yeah, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Just find me find me there and um, happy always happy to connect and and chat. Excellent. Uh, I will include the link uh, in the show notes. Uh, but on this question, actually, do you have any uh, communities for researchers that you could recommend? Maybe Slack or Discord or anything else. <laughs> Well, I, I, you know, I, I, I am part of the community on Facebook, and I'm just trying to to see which one. What's it called? User Research Collective on Facebook has been very active. I actually, um, the conversation about portfolio was something that I saw there recently, and so there are a lot of discussions that happen there. That's 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 one that I pay attention to. Medium's probably um, definitely a very important resource. Uh, LinkedIn, just I, I, I find myself just going on LinkedIn and seeing what what people bring up there um, in the feed. That's so it's I, I don't have one particular strong resource that I sorry that I would say that this is the go to, but those are the uh, the few that I kind of keep an eye on outside of work. Work keeps me pretty occupied at this point, so I'm like trying not to be too overloaded elsewhere. Yeah, makes sense. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Nick, for all the insights and uh, sharing what you know. I really appreciate that. 
Thank you. That was that was really fun. Thanks for listening. If you want to see more episodes and support this podcast, the best thing you can do is leave a review on iTunes and share with your friends and colleagues. If you have specific questions you would want me to answer, you can submit them on the UX Career website. Go to uxcareer.co slash questions. Goodbye, friends.